0: We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today has built and sold successful companies. He's also helped many other people build their own He's an investor, entrepreneur, author, and teacher, and he's known for his ability to keep things simple while being thorough enough at the same time to create a successful business. We talked about content creation, relationships, entrepreneurship, and goal setting. And we took a deeper dive into the specific steps that we can take to build our own business and be confident that it will succeed. It was really a masterclass in going from idea to validation while making sure that you aren't surprised by challenges such as your finances. Please welcome to interview 49, Brandon White. So first off, I just want to say thank you because I know the decision to take time out of your day when you're a busy person with a lot going on and you have your own goals to create something like this with me is just something that I I can't say in words really how much I truly do appreciate. So I really just want to say thank you. And the first question that I like to ask people is the sort of deep like who are you question, but in a way that allows you to define yourself for our audience. Because a lot of times online when people are writing articles about us doing intros that I can look up and stuff like that, or even your about page, it can be tough to get that kind of spoken version of how you see yourself showing up in the online space and the work that you're currently doing. So I just love to ask you if you were to come in and guest speak for me to let's say a high school business class and you were given the opportunity to introduce yourself, what would you say?
1: You and I were joking before we jumped on, Justin, and I said that was such a deep question because I listened to another episode with Alex, who I actually used as a as a copywriter, and I was like, wow, that that one can could really stump you. But My why is really, I'm just a guy who tries to do better every single day a little bit and tries to give back whatever I can to people because a lot of people helped me along my way to success that didn't need to help me. And that made all the difference in the world. If I was to give you the formal intro, which I don't like to go into this long story, but I'm at heart, an entrepreneur with two exits, at least 20 failures. I was a venture capitalist. I do angel investing. I worked at America Online in the early days in marketing analysis and ran financials for them. And I think at the at the end of the day, I'm sort of a creator, but maybe not a creator in the traditional sense where it's just a solo entrepreneur, is I just like to help people, which means I like to solve problems. And I like them to be businesses versus projects, which means that it's a big enough problem that someone will actually pay at me or us to solve that problem. And I just really enjoy doing that and competing against myself.
0: I love it. The uh, a friend of mine owns a gym in town here called You Versus You, but it's just a UVU for quick. And uh, that ability to get a little bit better each day is super valuable. I know a lot of people say get 1% better, but I'm like, that goes pretty quick. Then you only got 100 days. So I'm like, maybe it's 0.001% better each day.
1: I just think, yeah, I try to, I think it's in the end of the the day, the, the race is really with yourself. It's not that you don't use other people. The way that I see it is you use other people to show what is possible. And it's, um, it's like Bannister story, broke the four minute mile. And within 45 days, I think six or seven other people had broken it. But up until 1950, whatever, two or four, whatever it was. Nobody had broken it in in all of human civilization. And then all of a sudden, within 45 days, there's like a handful and more. And it just, it was exponential at that point that everybody could break the four-minute mile. So it's one of those things where you can use these other people who may be, I don't want to say ahead, but maybe further along their journey where your goal is set. And it can show that it is possible. And then all you have to ask yourself is, why not me? And there's really no good reason. There's no good answer that I've ever found when I've asked myself that question to say, why not me?
0: Yeah, I filmed a a commercial with some youth when uh, I was teaching. It was actually an eighth grade English class. And as a project, we basically built a nonprofit. And the nonprofit was like the book Chicken Soup for the Soul. And we would get people to submit writing on youth mental health. And our tagline was why not? And it was around any of these challenging questions we have in life that the question we shouldn't be asking is why we should be asking why not? So that certainly hits deep to home. When you you mentioned the banister thing and breaking that barrier, I see that a lot in the creator economy as well. And I was just recently listening to a podcast about destroying is his name and he's one of the biggest football NFL football American football content creators and he's now partnering with the NFL xFL all these people you know you have Jake Paul partnering with boxing and UFC you have so many different examples but somebody kind of came along and tipped that first thing and now you see so many successful content creators the reason I bring that up though is I'm interested in how you said about the fact that you're kind of a creator you know I know that you create a lot for Twitter. I know you have a podcast and I know that you have a business background. So what is your kind of take on the creator economy and how did you get into content creation for yourself?
1: Well, maybe I should start where I got into content creation and then, and then that journey really has defined what how I see the quote unquote creator economy. So I may be older than Lot of your listeners. Uh, Hopefully, the Neutrogena face cream and sunscreen has kept my youth. But I started on the internet in 1996 and I had this novel idea to put a magazine on the internet. And the truth is, is that. I'm a fisherman and I fished and I went to a small, I have a undergraduate degree from Washington College in Maryland. I have a master's degree from there as well. And I have an MBA from UNC Chapel Hill and I've done some postgraduate work at a school out here in Northern California. But we lived on the water actually. And we lived on a creek off the Chesapeake Bay and I fished all the time. And when I went back to get my, I, quite candidly, I was pretty lost after college. I told everybody I was going to become a lawyer because as soon as you say that, Justin, everybody shuts up, right? But I had no idea. I. I have dyslexia, don't test well. I'm a National Honor Society student, graduated second in my class in high school with the governor's award who gets under a thousand on an SAT, but can be a you know National Honor Society the whole time. So and I was president of the Chi National Honor Society for Psychology during my undergraduate and graduate degree. So it was one of those one of those things where I, I'm fishing. I decide that I want to build a magazine because in the 90s, the only thing internet really was America Online, CompuServe, and some other things that were novel but not commercial. And we played around with the internet in the early '90s, and middle '90s during college. But I actually went to a printer and realized that the eight hundred dollars that I had in my all of my savings—this is like my total money, eight hundred dollars—which I still have a picture of that savings account. We used to keep. We used to write our savings account totals in a a little book, almost like a passport and the lady at the bank or man at the bank would total it for you. And I only had $800 and the printer's like, that that isn't going to work. So I thought about the internet and I was like, well, why don't we just put a magazine on the internet? I got a second job. I hired what I thought was the smartest person in the computing lab, which I had been hanging out there because I'd been teaching myself. I had coded on basic code on on a Commodore VIC-20 and Commodore 64 for those who are older who remember that. And I was like, let's just put a magazine on the internet. And we did that. It used to be called vertical networks. And then I realized that the internet offered the opportunity. This sounds trivial now, but it was novel back then that why wouldn't the users just leave the content? I, I don't need professional fishermen. Certainly professional fishermen and writers would be helpful to attract attention. But what I realized, Justin, was, was that that wasn't the real attraction. The real attraction is, is that people wanted to catch more fish and they wanted to catch fish consistently and some of them wanted to catch big fish. And if you could teach someone that, then that was the gold. I mean, yes, there were celebrities and things like that. So I did that. We built a message board. I faked it for a long time. I was like 10 people on there. I would answer my own questions. I had books and I would go through these long things. And even to this day on a two-sided marketplace, that's sort of how forums, if you will, are still created to this day. I used to hang out in AOL chat rooms. My wife and I, we would write down their handle on legal pads and then we would quote unquote email them. It's now called spam. But back then, when you would send people messages very targeted because they were in that chat room and they had seen me with my AOL email address, they actually write back and say, thank you. They were like, thank you so much. This is like the best thing, yada, yada. And we did that night after night after night. And That company turned into the number one largest recreational fishing site on the internet, social networking and e-commerce. There was this company called Amazon um, that built an affiliate program. So we were like, well, why don't we just build a bookstore? We built a bookstore and this guy named Jeff, last name Bezos, sent me a t-shirt for being one of the first Amazon associates. I still have a picture of that on my website. So we just found our way, Justin, through becoming creators. And we did all sorts of stuff. I mean, we were one of the first on the internet to customize your experience around zip code, which is completely trivial right now, but now, but back then we were written up in PC Magazine and and compared to Yahoo for that. It took us like four weeks to write just the lines of code to be able to do that. But it was really important for Fishermen to localize their fishing reports, their all all the different information, and ultimately we built a comparison or a recommendation engine, which was like just so early AI machine learning, so to speak. It was really based on rules of what products to offer people, and then we got into drop drop shipping. And I mean, I lived through that entire internet. And then uh, we had raised money, uh, which was a crazy story, Justin. And I and I'll just share this story quickly because you can't make this stuff up. And I actually. I've written about this a few times. I had read about a company called Yahoo, which was mentioned in the front of Time Magazine. In the front of Time Magazine, they used to have innovators and innovation type articles. It was in the first few pages. And I used to read every day at the library and I read this article that said that Jerry Yang and David Philo had raised, I think it was their probably their second round of funding, uh, $1.7 million from this, from this venture firm called Sequoia. And I looked at that and I was like, well, we use them. They're just putting an internet uh, phone book of the internet. Sequoia should invest in us. Fishing's a big market. It's got 50 million anglers at the time. It's 34 billion dollar market. So I wrote the I wrote a business plan. I got a book from Barnes and Noble. Took me as long to read the book as it did to do the business plan, wrote the business plan and sent it to Mike Moritz who is a partner at Sequoia, thinking that that's how you raise money and that's how you do it. Needless to say, he didn't get back to me, but I did write an alumni in my alumni magazine and told him what we were doing and he actually got back to us has lunch with a guy comes back and says hey i think you should meet this guy he's a fisherman and he uses your site and he's from a a pretty famous venture firm in silicon valley at the time i was living in maryland on the maryland's eastern shore which is like nowhere land, beautiful place but it's not near any major i mean it's near baltimore but it's an hour it's just like you know still country yeah so i get an email i was like yeah tell him i'm interested in talking with him and he like three hours later, I get an email. Hey, this is Tom. You might know me. I'm from, I just retired from Sequoia. We've done companies like Cisco, Apple, um, Yahoo, and some others. I use your site and I'd like to see you. Now, you can imagine, Justin, that I'm living in a house that my wife and I scraped every last cent, every last cent to get to put a down payment to buy a $108,000 house that's 1,400 square feet in Easton, Maryland. And Like we're eating tuna fish and I mean, we're having fun. We're, we're very young in our twenties, but you know, to get an email like that. So I off the cuff right back. That's awesome. So glad to meet you. I'd love to see you. Here's a copy of our business plan. Here's my address. If you want to come see me, I'm here tomorrow. He writes back. Okay. Well, I'll be there next morning. Knock on the door. Hmm. Literally. And, um, I said some stuff and he's like, well, let's go to your office. I was like, okay. So I just started walking upstairs because that's where the office was. And you could see this look on his face, Justin, like, you know, that look where it's almost sheer disappointment, confusion. And like, and then you feel this all of a sudden you feel yourself start to get hot because you don't know what you're going to, how you're going to handle this situation. I just kept walking. He followed me up and he, Walks into the spare bedroom and I can remember it like it was yesterday, Justin. And he, he looks around and he's like, looks at me straight in the eye and he says, is this all you got?
0: Hmm.
1: And I was like, Hey, listen, I'm really sorry. You drove He at the time he was living in DC because his, his kids were there. And I was like, look, I'm really sorry if you came here for more. The only thing we can do is like, we can go see my partner. He has a spare bedroom down the road. Um, but that's all we got. Thanks for coming out, basically, is what I was saying. Mm -hmm. He's like, calm down, kid. He's like, this is how we found Cisco. They were making routers in their living room. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is getting real. So we went to lunch. We did the business plan on the back of a placemat, literally. I was like, do you want to go fishing? He says, yes. We go back. I hook up my boat, tow it to the boat ramp. We literally go fishing and catch a bunch of fish, have some fun. On the way home, he says to me, well, how much money do you have? Because you you guys looked way bigger. When I called, you have this elaborate answering machine and all this. I was like, look, I honestly can't tell you. He said, why is that? And I said, well, we trade stocks to fund the company. Wow. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, we trade stocks. I mean, I used to have a second job to pay what I call my co-founder at the time, but I quit that and we've been making, my partner and I trade stocks and that's how we make money. So we could have 5,000 or we could have 30 today. I don't know. And he just shakes his head and goes back to doing something. I'm driving down a major highway at 60 miles an hour pulling a 21-foot boat. So I'm not necessarily paying attention to what he's doing. And I see a check come over to me. He's like, let's go. And it was a check for $50,000. And that's literally how my life started. Stock market crash. Long story short, bought the company back from the investors. I ran it as a side hustle, so to speak. I worked at AOL. I went to business school, uh, did some other things. And then I came back to it. And said, I want to build this and sell it so that I can buy a house in California. I had a five-year plan at year four, a public media company, which is still one of the top 10 most trafficked internet companies on the internet. They're public called Vertical Scope. Was doing a roll-up strategy, which was my bet. I made a lot of mistakes during that process. Like I grew too fast. I didn't own my home market. I just, I made all novice mistakes. But I learned from them and I had that plan to sell it. And my plan wasn't to market it, sell it. My plan was just to make it the best fishing site for the region, which in my mind said, if you make something that is very hard to replace, where the build cost is greater than the buy, then you're probably good. Someone is going to eventually knock. And they did. And I sold it and sold it on Wednesday and bought this house where I'm recording from, which I now built a recording studio here on Friday. So... Sold the company Wednesday, bought a house in Half Moon Bay, California, Friday. And that's sort of my life. And that was my journey as a creator. I mean, I was podcasting in 1998. I podcast, which was this novel idea. Again, I keep using these novel ideas because it's how I'm choking, but I was getting tired of writing 3,000 word phishing reports. And I said, well, why can't I just record myself, put the auto file on a, back then it was flat file HTML. We did not have database driven websites and just let people download it. That was podcasting. And then Apple came along, I think in. You can correct me, 2002, 2003, but it was clunky. I still have a podcast. I'm actually relaunching it that I had used back then. We had so much duct tape, Justin, to do to just get an RSS feed. You know, the RSS feed standard was still in flux because in any standard, you have so many people who are trying to agree of w- what that is. and And that's how my life really progressed as a creator. Going back to, that was a long-winded answer to your question. I think for me, the thing that I I admire about creators, which is really very similar, the same word as being a solopreneur, is that it is very hard to be a single creator and scale to a bigger company. And what I found is that yes, like you can be wildly successful, and you know you've had some of those people on your show, and and I, I go back to Alex the one most recent episode I listened of yours. I mean, she is wildly successful making a few hundred thousand dollars a year and a great life. The challenge with those businesses that I found and why I say I'm a creator, but I I believe I think you need to build a brand more and a business around that brand, which means you're going to have people, you're going to build a bigger company, mainly because it's more sustainable and you can make more money doing it. And I think the risks as a single creator, first of all, there's only so many hours in the day. There's so many things, so many things you can do. And you're not, you don't have a force multiplier to your idea or what you're doing. And that's very hard to scale to a, to a place where, um, you know, you can make seven figures. I, I Look, if you build an email newsletter, which I'm like the biggest fan of, and I have an email newsletter, and you have 100, 150, 200,000 people probably a different story, mainly because you're just at a very large scale. But to get there, how are you going to get there? And what does that brand look like long-term? So that was a fire hose answer to your question (laughs) of how I got to be a creator and what I think of creators.
0: Yeah. I love it though. I really appreciate the backstory and the insights because again, and you know, as a podcaster, a lot of the things we can get by looking at someone's blog or watching a YouTube video, but these sorts of elaborated actual background information is something that's so hard to get, which is why I love the medium of podcasting as much as I could scroll through Instagram or YouTube shorts or TikToks and, you know, capture some really powerful one liners and quotes and these kinds of things. I find it really valuable to go into those stories. So thank you for doing that. I'm really excited to get into the business stuff because I know that's a big part of your expertise. And one of the things that you love teaching and a question that I always ask is if you could teach one thing, what would it be? And so we'll definitely get into there really soon. I just, before I forget, I want to ask one other thing about, you mentioned the fact that you said you were going to be a lawyer because it would shut people up. And so, you know, that could be parents, it could be teachers, it could be friends, it could be kind of our own mind, maybe sometimes. But in terms of that, I do see that a lot with youth. They're only looking for things that are in the college manuals that they could apply for when in reality, they know in their heart what they would like to do. It's just probably more on the creative side. So what did you mean by that? And if you have tips for people struggling with that same existential question, what insights would you share with them?
1: I think the first thing that comes to mind, Justin, is this, and and my mom was a writer, and I grew up with a single mom, and she did seven books, and so she was a creator or artist, if you will, and then ultimately changed careers and became a dean of students at a private school in Baltimore, but I think that the reality of the situation was, was I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and certainly if you're in college or something, there's these, you know, professors are very good people, but sometimes the professors aren't as in touch with the real world they live in a world of publishing and and that's how they make their living they publish and stay in this system whereas the real world isn't always like that you can publish all day long and you're not going to necessarily make a salary but they're not always as in touch with the, with the real world i, I think that what you want to do is just go into a direction and the truth is is you know i could tell you for an hour and hours that story that i sounded long, but was condensed. But how I found my way to even start my own company was because I was lost. My mom just pointed me in a direction and she said, go back to school and you'll figure something out. It happened that I I started a, a company. I think you need to do, I think the one thing that people say is follow your passion. And I don't know that that's true. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should figure out what you're good at. And I think you should make money so that you can buy a house, buy a car, pay your mortgage, and figure out how to do that. And then that opens up the window to what you may love to do or what your passion is. It's basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Take care of yourself. You're going to need a roof, right? You're going to need food. You're probably going to need, you don't need, but having a loving relationship is always useful. And take care of those things. And in order to take care of those things, whether we like it or not, you need money. And money's not an evil thing. Society, not just now, but has in many ways has made e- money have a negative context. I think money is the most positive thing that is out there. It opens the door to allow you to do a lot of things, including your passion. But the fact of the matter what they don't teach in school, and I'm eventually going to write a book on this. I started it when I my master's a long time ago, but I never finished it, is what they don't teach you is is that in order to buy a $200,000 home, $300,000, $400,000, if you want a million, there's a consequence to that, which means you're going to need a down payment, usually at least 20% to qualify, a credit score of at least 700 plus, and your mortgage is going to be a few thousand dollars. So I tend to be more practical in that sense to say, how am I going to do that? Now, I'll be honest, I didn't necessarily take that approach. But in many ways I did because my insurance policy was, was I have a master's in psychology. I, with a concentration in counseling, I could fall back and charge people to, to be a psychologist. And that would have, a, would and still to this day, if something happened, afford me the way to do that. So passion is important and knowing what you love to do, but you're not entitled to earn a living because you're passionate about it. So figure out what you're good at and you can live with. I, I you know, if you're really good at something and it's just so painful, then I say figure out something else that you're good at. Because you don't want to be miserable. But you got to figure out what you're good at and how to earn money, take care of those things. And that's gonna unlock the next stage of this. I'm using Maslow's hierarchy of needs sort of as a I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but an illustration of how you sort of step up your life, take care of those things, and now you've opened the door because if you just follow your passion and you do not keep track of your finances, then your passion's going to suffer. And then you're going to get angry, and then you're going to be stressed, and it becomes this downward spiral, which is really hard to get out of and can mean that you will compromise yourself. I, I don't mean illegally, but you'll start having to compromise yourself to to make ends meet. And it's just really tough. So that's that would be my approach. I'm not not here to quash anybody's dreams or anything like that, but just figure out a path to get there. Yes, there are always examples of these, of these people who did, you know, ha- were lucky or, you know, you make your own luck, but sort of had this, they, they didn't do that and they got there. But those are several standard deviations from the norm. And, you know, not everybody is feels good about publishing their, their story of failure. And, and that's how you're going to be, I think, successful. I mean, in many ways, I was really lucky to have a career that allowed me to go fishing all the time. But to be honest with you, it also ruined my passion. I have not fished for my own self since the day I f- sold that company, which was over the first company I've sold, which is over a decade ago. I will fish with friends to share time. I will fish with my nephew and things like that, but it ruined my passion. Wow. And you know, you could say, well, that'll never happen. Well, be careful when you have to fish. And you know, I was on TV and I'm fishing 200 days a year. There were times when I didn't want to go fishing and I wanted to hang out with my wife But I needed to go fishing because that's what, because I needed to create and be a creator to build that fishing report, hold a big fish picture or whatever to get more people to the site. And you hear this and maybe you've heard it on your show, but you do hear this even about creators on YouTube and things like that, where they're they're just like, I'm done, I'm burned out and that can happen. So to have the luxury of having something you're good at to pay the bills and get the type of lifestyle you want, and then be able to participate in your passion because you can afford it, that might be the, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but in my experience, that might be the standard that you're really looking to
0: achieve. And it's interesting that you say that about the creator burnout, because for me, I've had a lot of really reputable, amazing, like I'm so grateful and thankful to be even slightly connected to these people who are really successful creators kind of give me ideas a number of times where I agree that those types of things could probably be more successful or scale this brand more quickly, but the two things that I don't sacrifice is basically my intrinsic values in terms of like you say, what I can sustain, and then also my family. And so when I do actually put those two things first, then it can be hard to necessarily take as many fast steps, but I'm okay with doing the patient version and and it's well worth it. You know, for me personally, I know that that debate of do you burn the boats or do you stick with a job and then get a side hustle and then scale up on the side or somewhere in the middle is probably as individual an answer as our DNA. And so I find that it can be hard to talk about these things in kind of like a life coaching way when it's like, there's so much context that probably goes to helping that one person who's struggling with that question. But sticking with your history a little bit quickly, I'd love to know when you mentioned building those first companies, were you working and then building on the side? And then in your personal version of what that looked like, how did you maintain and not burn out in your case?
1: Every company that I can think of, and look, For listeners, I've failed way more. I've failed so many times. I say it's 20 plus. I've had so many projects, Justin, that just, you know, one of the skills is killing
0: them. Well, that was going to be the next question was. In terms of you've referenced it a couple times, the idea of learning from failure, which is hands down one of the most important assets that anyone can have when it comes to growth mindset, kind of sunk costs, moving on and those sorts of things. So I'd love to hear whatever you can remember from them. We've had a previous entrepreneur try and do it because I think he had 10 and he tried to (laughs) kind of rattle them off very quickly. But just to give some context for the listener in terms of what some of those failures were, what were they?
1: Let me go back before we forget. I think you need to do things as side hustles. It's extremely hard. And if you do burn the boats, then you better build a business plan, which will segue into what we're going to get into because I I'd love to drop that for your listeners just as a as a plan, but or something they can take away from this is the first thing that I do, Justin, someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I have this idea because I get approached a lot from angel investing or just advice and, you know, I'm thinking about quitting my job. And my next question has nothing to do with their business. In fact, I don't want to hear another thing about their business. Usually what happens is, is that we turn over the placemat or the napkin and I say, tell me what your burn rate is. And burn rate for those, meaning how much money does it cost you for rent? How much is it food? How much is your car? How much is your insurance? Like I can tell you right now, not to the cent, but to the dollar pretty close of what my wife and I's burn rate is, that it costs us to live minimum. That's pre-tax and post-tax. Living in California, you sort of think about it that way. Um, Here too. And, and and then at the end, I say, how much money do you have in your savings account? And all we're going to do is we're going to take that number and we're going to divide it by your burn rate because that's how many months you have. And if you don't have 18 months of runway, you should not burn the boats. Nothing happens as fast. You know this, Justin, from everything in your life. And listeners know this. Nothing happens as fast as you want it to happen. Sorry. Yeah. You know, how old is Facebook? How old is Amazon? How old is Apple? How old is Google? How old are these great companies that, how old's Patagonia Clothing Company? I mean, we can go down the list here. These companies are decades old. I mean, decades old. In fact, even AOL was ten years in the making before they even got anywhere.
0: Yeah, that I know you're going to have tons of more valuable input throughout the episode too. I just wanted to quickly interject because that may be the most powerful point throughout, even with all the wisdom that's yet to come. Because when you said that, you know, the listeners know this. I don't think they necessarily do. I think part of the thing about this show is that a lot of people haven't tried starting a business yet, right? They haven't tried starting a YouTube channel, etc. And um, Ramit Sethi, who's obviously does a lot of financial literacy work too, and has his new show, I'll Teach You to Be Rich on Netflix. I was listening to a podcast with him the other day, and it was incredible to hear him talk about the fact he's been building that business for like 25 years. And everyone sees the Netflix show, so they see overnight success and that classic top of the iceberg, but they don't see underneath the water. And I just I just quickly wanted to bring that up because a lot of people see the YouTubers, see the fact that some people scale quickly and, and probably think for them that they could too, you know? So I think that's just such an important point.
1: One of the things I think that is really important is to know the story behind the story. Look, you can buy followers, you can buy listeners, you can buy all these things. What I don't look at, I'm not interested in their followers. I'm not interested in all that. What I'm interested in is what their PL looks like, their profit and loss statement. Because at the end of the day, look, if you want to be famous and popular, that's one thing. I personally would rather have money and no one know me. Somewhere in the middle is probably the, the right thing. So what is perceived as fast growth, I mean, Mr. Beast, didn't he like the biggest guy on YouTube and how long's he been at it? I don't, that wasn't an overnight success. A few hundred videos. Was, <laughs> I, I mean, Joe Rogan, how long, Joe Rogan's been around for 15 years, I think. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but it is a long time. If you're listening to this, it doesn't happen as planned. I'm not bright. I'm a very, very good builder especially of software applications and things like that. Like I understand it. I know it. I've been through it. I've made so many mistakes. I am building one right now that has taken four months longer than what it planned. We were supposed to be done with a Google security audit for this file finder company that I have. And we might wrap up today. Actually, we sent the the email to the auditors to take a look. So nothing's ever going to go as fast and it's always going to be more expensive than what you think. I'm not saying that some people don't hit it on the mark, but it is like one in millions. So don't plan on that. Plan for the worst. And if it goes better, then God bless you, like at least you've planned for that. If you have, if you don't have 18 months of money and it takes 12, and only takes 12, great, you've got six months worth of extra money. But if it takes 24 and you only have 18, then now you're in panic mode, so to speak. So I think you really got to plan that it's not going to happen. And if it does, then great. God bless you. You know, you're winning. But over time, it it just doesn't. One of the first failures I'll tell you about, and not failures, just didn't happen, is I actually, that story I told you where I did sell it, I actually had to close it down in 2001 completely. It, it filed for bankruptcy because the dot com crashed. What happened was, in, you know, the, everybody thought the internet was going away. The investors went away. And at the time, we were, in a lawsuit and it was just a big mess. And I bought it back from the investors. So there's an example that didn't work. I've had, my brother and I started a fishing clothing company. The, the brand is still around, but it hasn't worked. It just takes a really long time to build a brand we found out. We then went and we built 12 brands on a t-shirt company and 11 of them didn't work, but one did. My brother still runs it as one of his brands. I've tried software applications. I tried to go back and build a search engine, which was done by hand, because I think there's a lot of flaws with algorithms. And I know that because I'm really good at SEO and and that company that we built, that phishing company. I didn't advertise. We had five hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of free organic traffic a month and it was all built on SEO. So so I thought you could build it by hand like the old days of Yahoo and some other DMOs. I think it was not DMOS, I forget what it was called. It didn't work. Like I couldn't scale it. It was gonna cost too much money. So we killed it. Um, I don't know. My list of there's so many things I've tried that didn't work that I even forget them. But the graveyard is long and you just have to figure out quickly, are are they going to make money? You may keep some of them as projects or as hobbies, but you do have to distinguish at some point because otherwise they're just going to suck your time and money. And at the end of the day, you can make more money, Justin, but what you can never get back, and you realize this as you get older, is you can't get your time back. As you get older, if you're, if you're 20, every year is only 1 20th of your life. It's a lot right if you when you're 30 it's only 1/30th so now the years start to get smaller 1/40th 1 1/50th 1 and all of a sudden before you know it years and time are going by like this and you realize that your most valuable currency is time so you've got to in my mind have a real business plan and most people do not build real business plans they they simply do not do it they think it's in their head they think they know the math and then they go try it and You know, you could, I've killed more ideas probably on the business plan stage, specifically in the financial models before they even lo- saw the light of day because the economics were just not going to work.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about that because I think that's somewhere that a lot of people stop short. Well, even creators who are in the quote unquote business guru space will create and they'll show people how to start business plans, but they really don't get into the nitty gritty of financial models probably because they've never <laughs> done them or they certainly haven't done them to the expert mastery level. And if they have, they've only done it once and maybe they got, a, maybe they did get a little bit more luck on their side and in terms of whatever they did succeed with. And now they're kind of preaching from a mountaintop. Uh, so it'd be good to head into that area of building business plans and really bring a lot of that value you do. Just quickly, I just want to say how special it is to hear that you work with your brother. And also when you were talking about how short life can be, I actually had to bury my brother's At 32 and 34 years old, Um, lost both my brothers already in our 30s. And it's one of those things where we had some ideas and some plans of things that we would like to do. One was a big time gamer. And so we talked about doing things kind of like Space Station Gaming did. And he was really, really good in the world of Madden and stuff like that. And then the other one was really big into uh, writing and wanted to write novels and books for kids. And we had all, you know, it was always like, oh, well, when we get the time, we can work on these different businesses and never got the time. And so that's very close to home. And so I just, it stands out to me when I hear family working together, it's pretty cool. So thank you for sharing that as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, you know, it's never not, there's always, (laughs) there's always some dynamics in that, but it's certainly fun and we still work on projects now and again. And I started my first company with my wife. I mean, I started that first fishing company on her L C four seventy five Apple computer that I took off her desk and put on mine. So, you know, being able to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my wife. We've been together twenty seven years. I think we were together for fourteen um before we got married. But, you know, it, it is special, but it does take work. So anybody listening to this who's gonna run into that, just make sure you have a, a very um I don't wanna say stable Justin, but you have the fundamentals of your relationship.
0: I was going to say, let's make a promise to each other to dive into business planning as the next question, because we could uh, get make these connections for the rest of the episode and never get around <laughs> to that. However, yeah. I d- I did want to ask quickly, like, and I ask as a personal uh, question as well, and a lot of other people listening that we pull family members into sometimes as we start to grow a little bit. And I do know that my wife would like to do more and more for this podcast and the things that we're working on, because she doesn't, I would love for her to do her own side hustle if she wanted to, but she really doesn't want to, she wants to work on this. It's just what she's more interested in. And so I was about to say, what are some insights that you learned from doing that? I'm sure it wasn't always easy, or at least you maybe had some systems in place.
1: Well, my wife is also a support. She doesn't want to be out front. She always has helped with the back end. She she does have a degree in HR, which has greatly helped along the way. And she's really good with the books, which has greatly helped. So I think it's just defining what everybody's role is. In your wife, in yours case, it sounds like it's pretty natural. In my wife, in my case, it was always natural as well. Where the tough part comes is when you need something and uh, you're not demanding it, but... You can't say it how I would say it to I have an extraordinary operations lady, uh super duper EA, who's worked with me for over nine years. And um, you know, I can I, I can be more direct with Gia and and just say, Hey, Gia, I need that tomorrow. Whereas, you know, sometimes there's Other things happen in your house, especially, you know, you have kids or it it just life happens. And when you say, Hey, I need that tomorrow, might not always go over as well. So you you do have to figure that out and you have to manage that. But I think the figuring that out and putting forth the effort to manage that outweighs not having to do it. Because if you're not working with your significant other on a daily basis, you're spending a lot of time away from one another. And you know, I mean, some people like that, you know, that's fine. Relationships, there's no book you could write on relationship. The only thing I would say that would be an absolute must for any relationship in my mind that's worked for us and what I've seen, and I, I think I get to comment on somewhat on it, Justin, having a master's degree in psychology with a Duke concentration in counseling, is a relationship should be something in addition to your already existing life. And I almost think that's, your significant other, and maybe any partnerships or friends you have. And the reason I say that is because if you're not dialed in yourself and you don't have an existing life, then codependency and a lot of unhealthy things happen. And it's not about not being able to rely on one another or not, not leaning on people when you need them. That's not what I'm saying. But if you do not have your own self together then it very quickly can become into this codependent relationship and that just spirals out of control. So for anybody listening who's younger, you know, looking at relationship, just really figure that out. And relationships, I'll tell you, I think I'm an expert after 27 years, they are work. You know, there's physical attraction. That's quite honestly easy. Like that's not hard. That's built in us. It's primal. Living together. Sometimes I joke. I'm like, I'm not really sure men and women are, are, you know, in that type of uh, in that relationship are are meant to be with one another. I don't even know if you're with someone of your same sex if you're meant to do that. I I think you know cohabitating with people is an interesting thing we could do a whole podcast on. But if you're stable in your own life, then you're not, you're, each of you don't have a hole that feel like can create some insecurities and things like that. And I just think that that at the core is what you have to have to have a stable relationship as it relates to how all the other relationships how you how you organize it like there's no right answer man there's are you happy and if you are then then you are success
0: yeah those are two things i certainly learned the hard way in terms of relationships both you know like you said being able to be solid on our own as miley cyrus said i could buy myself flowers (laughs) and uh that kind of thing like being able to Take care of yourself, but then it actually opens yourself up. It's the whole idea. I feel like that people say taking care of yourself is not selfish, you know. And I share that the foundation of health, whether it's spiritual, mental, physical, is so important to take care of. I, I actually have a, a pyramid that I'll, I'll draw for people when I'm coaching or helping them out, and I always put that at the bottom of it, and then relationships to immediate family and relationships to friends and colleagues and partners right on top of that, you know, prior to uh, to work and and side hustle or passion but all those things are somewhat symbiotic but point being i do feel like that taking care of yourself is the the most important and then uh the idea of communication and all these things are, are super helpful I appreciate that. Like I said, on a personal level, but also because it will help a lot of people as they venture into the world of their first relationships. and, you know, should I get engaged to this person or should we move in together? All those kinds of questions? I feel like we do expect that it's supposed to be sparks or those kinds of things. And I certainly didn't plan to get on the topic of love in this episode, but that's what's so great about these shows.
1: I, I think it's probably fundamentally the most important thing to being in a creator, business person or anything because what's not often talked about, Justin, is, your most valuable team member is your significant other. Like make no mistake, yes, your engineer or your copywriter or your marketer or your coach, whatever is important. But without a stable home life, it's just not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. I, you know, I see a lot of fail not failures. I see a lot of not successes, not because the idea wasn't good or something like that. It's because they 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 don't have their stuff in at, you know, at home. In order and it takes work. I mean, and I I think to go like a few things that you said are really important moving in together before you figure it out. I'm not here to, to judge people's religions or say it's right or wrong. All I'm saying is try it and figure it out because if you just all of a sudden go into that experience and then you are trying to do a business or something, like you have no idea the little things that people bother. Like Yvette can't stand dishes in the sink at night. And while I'm not a big fan of it, I don't care that much, but like that was a big, turned into a big thing because I didn't think it was a big thing. And until you're really good at being in a relationship, you don't recognize that. And that little thing can turn into something that will affect weeks of your life, if not years. So until you can figure out and drop your ego to be like, hey, look to yourself, this is not a big deal. Yeah, I don't care. It's a pain in the butt, but To have a clean sink at night, yeah, probably a good idea. Maybe the ants won't get in there. I'll just do it. And all too often there's, well, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, I shouldn't have to do that. Well, it's not about what you should or shouldn't have to do. I do want to, something just sparked that you said earlier, that's really important. I think society today shames people into this. And I think it's wrong. They'll say a really important point you made, which is taking care of yourself is selfish. No, it is not selfish. In fact, you can't be selfless without being selfish to take care of yourself so that you can actually help other people. And what often happens is, is that people will overcompensate and help everyone else but themselves. And society says, well, Justin, if you know that's really selfish, you're going to the gym an hour a day and you're not spending it with your kids. Well, what if that one hour in the gym a day makes the three hours versus four worth 10? But I find it really interesting, Justin, that that people who are doing better, so to speak, than others don't criticize those below them. Have you ever noticed that?
0: Absolutely, and I think that's true in all industries. You know, uh, one industry that I have a background in is fitness and sport and those things. And actually, when you were mentioning earlier that you didn't like fishing after fishing so much for work, that was the same for me in the fitness industry. I was I was never working out or going to the gym for myself and. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like in any industry I've been, that's definitely the case. That those who are actually crushing it aren't having to put down others or criticize or judge. You you mentioned the uh, society having a negative connotation around money. I feel money and self care are very similar in that way, where people get it wrong a lot, and it's just too bad. And it's it's like you know their own securities, and we don't need to go into the counseling psychology part of that, I guess, because we could be guessing all day long. But yeah, absolutely. And when you said the idea of going from uh, three hours with one at the gym versus four with your kids, that really hit home in a slightly different way, because the way that I see it is maybe that hour in the gym. And again, this is maybe because I grew up in a funeral home and I am way too close to death than probably most people by my age. But I find it easy to motivate myself to exercise. I also am able to say, OK, no. I have to go to the gym for that hour a day because I also feel like in the macro maybe it allows me to get to their college graduation or maybe it allows me to play basketball with them when they're teenagers uh, and things like that the longevity piece and and, and so I, I feel like it's an investment in the being selfish in the short term to be selfless in the long term you know
1: I agree and for anybody listening out there the the si- I'm a big science person when it comes to health i've been I had an ACL reconstruction because I grew up in Maryland and played lacrosse. So I had my first ACL reconstruction in seventh grade. So it really put me in the gym early and I started doing bodybuilding and and, and just, I, I love it to this day. I love lifting. I grew up with Arnold and Lou Ferrigno and uh, Kevin Lebroni from Baltimore and those types of bodybuilders. But the science actually says that it is so important to exercise and actually lift weights and do cardio. Uh, especially lifting weights, early in your life. So if you decide to do it in your 40s or 50s, it's not that that's going to hurt you. It's that the benefit having done it earlier carries with you your entire life. So I I think those things are important. I think it cuts down on stress. It can improve your relationship. We're talking about relationships. It can improve your relationship. It can improve those hours. It can make those hours better because you're you're not wound as tight or whatever. I mean, you know, life has anxiety, so it, it can really help reduce that sort of stuff. So I think it's really vitally important. And I think you've got to take care of yourself and you're not being selfish. You're actually allowing yourself to be able to help people better because otherwise you're just never going to have your stuff together and you're just going to be a mess. I mean, everybody who's listening to this can think of at least one person in their life who they know.
0: That was really cool how you just brought that up about the idea of it being an investment and almost as though it has compound interest because I had just said that it's similar to money to me, the idea of self-care. And so there's another example. Uh, you know If you get into more financial literacy when you're 18 versus 38, it's going to have a much exponential impact. So I guess let's assume that we have the foundation in place. Our self-care is taken care of. Our relationships are good to go. And then we're thinking we want to go start a business. Where do we begin
1: so we are going to run out of time but i'm going to do the best i can because the selfless self promotion is is that i used to teach a course that taught everybody how to do a business plan in 13 slides and i did that because everyone would come to me ask how to build a business plan i kept repeating myself so i did this thing where I recorded myself and put it on a blog <laughs> and then it became a course. And I've had 1500 students take it through. The good news for listeners is I'm not pitching you to sell a course because I am giving the course away for free now. So you will see that. I do ask the people, I wrote a book on it and I made it 11 slides. And I think we can do a mini masterclass here, Justin we can probably put the link in the show notes. I would love for everybody to buy the book. If you don't buy the book, I do not care. You can still take the course for free. I'm giving it away mainly because I just think it's so important to have a plan. And if you have the plan, you're going to catch the surprises beforehand. There's still going to be surprises, but at least you're going to have your stuff together. And you said something earlier in the show that really stuck in my head, which was you talk to all these creators and business people, really business owners, and you ask them for the plan and they still can't produce it. And some of them are having, some of them may get lucky and you know, make some money. The real question is, is that a sustainable business over time? And most of the time you'll see that it's not. You'll see that someone has marketed something within quote unquote, this is air quotes for those listening an offer, but have not been able to sustain that quote unquote offer into a business. And that's interesting, but it's like you're on this on this Ferris wheel of having to come up with offers all the time and offers all the time and that's really tough so if you build a business plan so I will go over the 11 slides we'll put a link in the show notes and I I'll, you can put my email address if anybody or, or I'm on Twitter if anybody wants to do that because I really am anybody who is willing to work to do it I'm willing to help Amazing. Uh, it's the people yeah. who just want if you want it done for you well you know then I guess we could do that but it wouldn't be as valuable but it would get done. Anyway, first slide is your opening slide in your elevator pitch and your elevator pitch. I'm going to give you some tips. One is it's not about you. It's not about you as a person. It's not about your background and it's not about why you did it. And that is the mistake that people made in the uh, main mistakes, people in elevator pitch, a good elevator pitch. Let me give you an example. We help you find files. You know, you have, but can't find faster. That's a good elevator pitch. And I'm patting myself on the back because that is the elevator pitch for File Finder, which we did. And by the way, that took about 12 to 14 months to get right. If you noticed, I never said my name, I never said my background, and I never said why I did it. You only get permission to do that in your elevator pitch after you give the pitch. And Justin, you might say, well, that sounds interesting. How'd you come up with that idea? And then you only get about 30 seconds to tell that story. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, the elevator pitch is about solving someone's problem. And probably someone listening to this has wasted hours of their life on a monthly, weekly, yearly basis looking for files they know they have, but can't find. And if I can, the software can find it faster for you, you're interested. So that's a good elevator pitch. And we could, we could do a whole episode on elevator pitches, but it's really important to get that elevator pitch. Some people will say, oh, your elevator pitch is 30 seconds. Justin, I don't know about you, but like 30, 30 seconds seems long in today's day and age. Like, Who listens to 30? You you change the channel on the TV at 30 seconds.
0: Yeah. More importantly than it sounds long, I think it also is adding extra, I was going to say erroneous, maybe it's applicable, but unnecessary information in terms of clarity, right?
1: Exactly. So in the sake of time, next slide is your problem slide. And the formula for your problem slide is a person does something, their pain is, existing solutions are broken because that's literally your your problem slide. I, I think you can do a business plan in slides these days and it's accepted and you can really do it that easily. Your solution is, here's our solution, here's how it solves the problem, and here's how it's positioned in the market. Your market is the market. So how big is the market? Now, importantly, what most people, I just I got like five pitches the other day and the their market and their go-to market, which the go-to market is the fifth side, was we're gonna get 1% of this market. Okay. Let's be clear about something. If the market, let's just take fishing because we were talking about fishing earlier and I really know it uh, well. $52 billion market. We're going to get 1% of that market. No. Size the market and- Get all the way down to your addressable market that you can get because one percent of the fishing market is. It may be true, but you need to figure that out because the fishing market includes boats, motors, trips, all these things. Let's say we're building a fishing lure company, which is the example I give in the book, uh, and I give that example all the way through all the chapters. We're going to make saltwater fishing lures, so our our real addressable, and we're going to start in California. So our real addressable market only might might only be ten million dollars, and people say, well, that's not a big market. It's a big market for California. And maybe it's a billion dollar market overall, but what that does on the market slide, which is your fourth slide, is it allows you to go into your next slide, which is your fifth slide, which is your go-to-market. Because you built it that way, you can say, well, we're going to address the saltwater fishing lure market in California first. Then we're going to expand into the uh, west of the Mississippi, et cetera. And now you're building your go-to-market strategy off your market slide. And that's really important because the, the 1% of it, you know, if we got a dollar from everybody, actually India is going to be bigger than China. Can you believe that? It's crazy. So if we could get a dollar from everybody in India, we'd be rich. Like how are we going to market to everybody in India? Like what are we going to market to everyone in India that likes us? Like it's just not going to work. So in review, your opening slide, your ele- which is your elevator pitch, your problem slide, your solution slide, your market, your go-to-market. Your next slide is your traction and milestones. You need to be very specific on what those traction, what your current traction is, and/or your milestones are going to be. Because if you do not put a stake in the road, you will not hit it. And everybody knows that. And we, I know you've done podcasts on goal setting and things like that. So. Very important. Your next slide is your competition. So where do you fit within your competition uh, and how are you going to be different? I will say this, you do not want to obsess about your competition. You want to be cognizant of it, but you only want to try to control things in your business that you have control of and you do not have control of your competition. And you do not want to be in a a reaction state of mind because you will never get to the green field or the Blue Ocean, whatever you want to call it, of how you're going to be different. You'll just always be a me too. So know your competition, check in every now and again, but do not obsess about it. You know, people in the tech industry will read TechCrunch and all this stuff, and they're like going wild about, oh my God, they raised money and now we're screwed and then it, like you have no control of that. Control what you can control today in your life and in your business, and that is what is going to move you forward.
0: Could you just clarify quickly what you do, what you do use the competition for?
1: It is just to, what's the right word figure out where you are in the market so baseline how you compare that that may be on customer service it may be on price it may be on quality it may be on functions and features but you do need to know where you stand so that you don't have blind spots if you're i was looking at a new email service not that i'm switching cuz i love convertkit and nathan and everybody there's been awesome but i was just looking at an, a, another option and you know they had functions and features and i was like oh my god this new one has so many functions and features beyond what every other one in the market has but they didn't have one which was i'm scared they're going to flip the company and sell it and then i'm going to be left hanging so like if your convert kit you may size yourself against the competition and the competition has all these other functions and features but your competitive advantage is what the competitive advantage for convert kit is is nathan said he's not going to sell it he's going to keep yeah. it yep so Next one is financials. You and I don't have enough time in the day to go over this. Um, you have got to build your financials. And and if you have a subscription service, you need to build your churn curves into it. And if you do not do that, you will not understand your business and you will be blindsided. The financials includes marketing tabs of your waterfalls. So some people will say, oh, well, I'm going to do email marketing. Okay. Well, what are the, what does that waterfall look like? You're going to Get a lead magnet. You're going to uh, send emails to 100,000 people. What's what's the bounce rate going to be? What's the unsubscribe rate going to be? What is the uh, landing page? Uh, how many people are going to click to get to the landing page? What is your landing page conversion to put into the card? And what is your card abandonment? I could keep going on, but that is the level of stuff you should have in your financials, which is going to feed your conversion rate to go into your PL, your profit and loss statement. To figuring out how much revenue you're going to get. And then you need to build a cash flow statement because if, and I imagine a lot of people listening to this are thinking about online businesses, your payment processor is going to hold money as you grow revenue because they want to hold back which you're not going to plan for and is going to happen. So one, one month, you may go from a thousand to 15,000 in revenue and they're going to hold $10,000 and you're going to say, well, why do they do that? Because of risk and returns and otherwise that credit card processing company becomes liable. So this is just an example of why you want your financials because just because you made $100,000 in revenue one month doesn't mean that you have $100,000 in free cash flow to pay whatever your services or your people or your contractors that are helping you. And you need to understand that. And if you don't understand that, then you're not going to understand how much capital you need. And if you don't understand that, you're going to go broke in a company that's actually profitable on a P&L basis. I know that was a lot, but it's worth mentioning and you really need to understand.
0: It's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's so valuable. Like you said, this could, and this often comes up on this show. When I was asking Alex, and I know you referenced her earlier about freelancing, when I was asking Buster Shear about content creation, it's like, we could create a four-year daily high school that answers these questions. We could create, you know, a 10-week course. We could write a book. And in this case, we're doing a hour to hour and a half podcast. It's like, I know it's gonna be short and that's just the nature of what we're dealing with right now. We'll have to maybe run it back in the future, but I do think it's worth, like you said, elaborating quickly. And one of the things that I wanna make sure that I touch on before we go too far down the kind of concluding of the slides is well, there's actually two things, but I'll ask the the first one in terms of, I I know you're an expert, so it kind of rattles off quickly, but somebody trying to come up with that clarity of what the problem and solution is, you mentioned uh, returns, so I think a lot of people would think, oh, e-commerce. You mentioned uh, membership sites. You know, throughout the episode, we've talked about email newsletter. Uh, when somebody says to you, you know, Brandon, I want to start a business, but they don't really even know what they want to start. What are just some ways that you kind of help them come up with the, that problem solution slide that you mentioned?
1: Well, I mean, first, I think you just need to brainstorm. And figure out. I like services businesses to start because they're profitable, and as long as you're a little bit better than someone else, you're an expert. So you know that's where I push people, and from there generate some revenue and whatever that is. I mean, you could, uh, in your case, you can. Teach people how to lift correctly. You could be a trainer. I mean, there's all sorts of things that that you could do. If you're a fitness person and, you know, I say, well, just get on YouTube with your phone and start reviewing products and get an affiliate link to that. Like it's basically the advice my mom gave me when I was stuck working on a tree nursery. And she's like, just go back to school and you'll be exposed and you'll be moving forward. So I really just try to get them with, with an idea that I just wanted those ideas just to get going because once someone one starts and is in it three weeks later someone come back and say uh Justin or Brandon well I saw this video on YouTube and they're doing this and now I want to do that awesome let's build a plan around that figure out what the problem is and the solution is and get going so if you're not sure uh one of those ideas is you know just so easy to pick up your phone and do a review get an affiliate affiliate link every company has an affiliate link um, and I know this is sort of a small step but to answer your question. And we're really just trying to get people Mm -hmm. started.
0: And then, so you take one of those ideas and then to enter them into the financials in the first place, you brought up all of the surprises, but would it be as simple as a matter of, this is how much I'm going to charge for this service. This is how many clients I expect to be able to get in the first month and the first six, like just a very quick version of what that looks like.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's basically where we start, right? we could start as what's your revenue target and then back down from that in order to get to a million dollars a year in revenue that's x amount a month that translates into x amount of products service hours whatever it is we're going to need to advertise to do that how many impressions do we need based on whatever the conversion click through rate in that waterfall is and you basically are just talking this these details through and putting them in the spreadsheet i i know we're going to we'll put a link and i have a longer video that walks people through this in a worksheet. But in high, in very high level terms, Justin, exactly what you said, we're just walking it backwards. And then we just ask ourselves, every time we get to the answer or we get an answer to that, we're like, okay, what does it take to get that? What does it take to get that? What does it? Get? And now we know like, hey, we got to have 10,000 people on our email list. Want to get 10,000 people on our email list if our landing page converts at 70%, how many impressions do we need? Uh, how are we, and then we get, then we're like, okay, well, how are we going to get those impressions? How much do those impressions cost? So we're just keep asking ourselves, what does it take to get that? What does it take to get that? We put it in the cell. And before you know it, you've got this big spreadsheet that can predict how much money we can make.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the moment to build that out a little bit because I do know that people who are kind of gurus, it, it's, it's, it comes so second nature. And then some people listening, and I do, I can think of some specific fans of the show who are thinking about starting businesses. So I just wanted to clarify. Uh, clarify that for them. So thank you.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I'm being sensitive to, to time here. We could always come back and do a longer episode on something like that, but it's really just starting with what am I going and How am I going to get that? And then how do I get that? And if you do that in a spreadsheet and label it as you're doing it before, you know, it, you've built a, a model and you could start on the back of a napkin. I don't really care where you start. I really think the important part is, is to just talk about the financials because, and, and work it out because everybody, the, the ideas are sexy. The implementation is not as sexy, but as important.
0: Well, how about, and what about, I know, questions that FAQs, I suppose, that I can hear the audience wondering as they're walking down the street, how do you know what to charge?
1: Well, then you, you that came from slide number seven, which was the competition slide, if you're, if you're gauging your competition in that market. What I've tried to do with this formula for the business plan, Justin, is to make it so easy and quick that you can get to these answers quick without Having to do a ton of research. If you were, um, I'm making this up, but if you were a hair salon and you wanted to, to or a barber and you wanted to do that, how, what would I do? I would go to Google Maps. I would find, I put in barber or hair salon. They would all pop up. I would get all their websites. I would click on them and then I would go look at the prices and then I would put them in a spreadsheet and then I would see where I'm going to fit and then I, wh- where the market is. And then I would go back and figure out, okay, well, what's it going to cost me to build that? How much are my supplies going to be? And how much can I make based on that? Amazing. I know we're running tight on time, so I'm going to fly through these next three slides and uh, we'll have to give some information in the show notes for everyone. But we've got team, who's your team, who do you need on your team, and uh, really knowing who's on there and what positions you need in what order, (laughs) important. Your funding needs, which that slide's, really, or that slide's really easy because we did our financials so we know how much money we're going to need in general to get started and or for cash flow. And the 11th slide is just a summary of all of the items that we came up with on one page, which can act as your executive summary that in case you're not giving a presentation or you need a cheat sheet or you're going to a meeting, you have everything on one page. And it's just very high level information on each one of those slides. I'm watching the clock. That might've been the fastest I've ever done that in 15 minutes, but, and and it deserves more time, but it gives an idea of very simple outline, which you can rewind if you're listening to this and process, and then we'll provide some other resources because it'd be hard to whip it out (laughs) over that. But I hope that listeners get the idea that this is not complicated. There are formulas for this thing that you can get.
0: I I think so. And I, I think we can ask two more FAQs that I know would come to mind pretty quickly with those two topics, team and funding. And then the the executive summary is pretty straightforward. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. I look forward to people checking it out and really learning from it. And what I love about the evergreen nature of creating episodes like this is that who knows, someone may benefit from that in 10 years from now, uh, who's they they may be 10 years old right now, and they start their first company when they're 20. And that's pretty special that they'll be able to maybe catch this and then find your content through there. And uh, so the I guess the one question for team was, is it typically the same type of person that you would need to add first, or is that more contextual to what business you're starting?
1: I think it's contextual to your business, but the most important part of your team slide is to know what your blind spots are and find people who are going to fill them. That is, you do not need more people with your strengths. Right. This, And I know this goes back to like the previous hour that we talked about knowing yourself and everything, but it's vitally important your inclination will to get to be pe- to hire people like you because they validate your strengths. What you need are people that will not agree with you and are willing to stand up but will fall in line after an agreement is made and fill your blind spots so that you can lean into your strengths and the, the other person who has strengths in your blind spot can be as great as you are in that. And that's what your Looking for, in my opinion.
0: Awesome. And when it comes to funding, you mentioned at the very beginning about how yourself were a venture capitalist at one point. You had done some investing, you'd maybe do some investing still. You also referenced that some people fail when it comes to trying to raise funds because they don't have a business plan like this. And so, assuming we have all the slides together, when it comes to the idea of, and I'll quickly mention that I see people not start a lot because they're like, oh, I need to raise money. They think they need to raise money. And maybe they don't, maybe they do because if it's a big AI tech product right now. Maybe you're not building it without engineers, but all this to say, when it comes to bootstrapping versus going out and raising a bunch of funds before you build something, what's your wisdom with respect to that?
1: First thing is there's always ways to figure out how you don't need money. I know I'm an investor in a company called Modern Picnic. Ali made this purse that is a it is a cooler and it looks really cool so that women people can bring their lunch in something that's not a brown bag and it looks fashionable. She had no money and she built it out of cardboard and found her way. So like, don't tell me you can't figure out a way to bootstrap something and just be creative. Second of all, not all businesses are investable, not especially for creators. They don't have exits. And you have to understand an investor is investing to make money for their people who are their investors and or themselves in an individual investor. And just because an investor doesn't invest, investors model, especially venture capitalists is basically one in 10 makes their fund, maybe two. So the fact that someone said no, doesn't mean that it's a bad idea because they get it wrong a lot. So it might actually be a positive thing. And your business might not just be big enough to be invested. And I, I was in an, a, in a venture capitalist office, and they said, "Well, we only think your business is worth a few hundred million. And it doesn't work." And you know, I was like, "Well, thank you for the compliment. And That's like the best news I had." I'm really sad you can't invest, but good news is we've got a real business here. So you're not in, you're not entitled to be in, have an investment because you have an idea. And in today's day and age, my best advice is you're gonna need to have traction. People with ideas are not getting funded, especially if they don't have a track record. If you're an entrepreneur who has a few exits yeah, somebody's going to make a bet on you who's made money on you before maybe, but Ideas are just a dime a dozen, man. Like, the, the, It's not the idea. It's the execution of the idea that matters. So hopefully that lends some advice to be able to do that. And you're going to need a business plan. Yeah. And the financials are going to be wrong. And someone's going to say, well, I don't know how much money I'm going to make, Brandon. And it's not about being right or wrong. It's about, do you understand the dynamics of your business and how are you thinking about it is what the investor is looking for. And
0: to. where do you fall on the idea of building a business to sell, to exit, what that's kind of your vision, your goal, or in the middle building a business to to have investors while still uh, being able to use that investment to grow your business or just building it for lifestyle because like you said, it's never investable. You're keeping it for yourself forever. How do you help people struggling with that question?
1: Uh, I don't think you should ever build something to sell it. I think you should build something that is buyable, which means that your books are in order. You have all of your things done correctly so someone can buy it. What I believe is that if you build a good business that is profitable and growing and solves real problems, you don't have to shop it. Someone is going to come and try to right. buy it. And that's uh, that was the shift in mindset that I did when someone bought my first company was I was like, "Oh, I can, you know, I really did build it genuinely. I didn't even know what I was doing. But eventually at some point in that I was like, "Oh, we can flip this and make a lot of money." And then at the end I said, "Well, that's a big risk. Let's just build something great that's so good" that someone's going to want to buy it, somehow fit in their strategy and people will come. Doing a lifestyle business is a great business. Throwing off cash and being able to invest that cash in other businesses and investments is is like such a great business. So, you know, if you can build one of those things, but I really highly discourage you to just decide that you're going to build it and flip it. Do you hear about those? Yeah. Are the stories as real as what you hear? Probably not. And even if they are, it's like one in a million. Build something real. Because if you miss that window in that flip opportunity or whatever that is, you're back to zero. So build something great, makes money, solves problems, is growing, and someone will knock on your door.
0: I think that's a great mic drop esque moment. I always ask themed questions and and we'll rattle those off quickly. Before I do though uh, is there anything with respect to this stuff? I know that we will have to do another episode on something. You mentioned your passion for newsletters as an example it'd be cool to talk about that for a long time or any of these topics. We didn't get into AI or Web3 like you know sky's the limit when it comes to collaborating and creating together so uh, we'll definitely have to do something again in the future but is there anything with respect to all this that you'd hate to wrap today without having mentioned or that we might have left out, or
1: I think we we dr- we planted enough seeds to come back and do so many episodes. I think the the main thing is just have a plan and remember that ideas are great, but you've got to turn them into something. It, the idea is not worth really anything until you execute on it. And having said that, why not you?
0: Right, love it. And so the theme questions: one is, what's one thing that you yourself are learning right now?
1: Uh, Actually, I started surfing. It's been a humbling experience.
0: That sounds fun.
1: I I try to do something new all the time because in my mind, you really got to get knocked on your butt every once in a while. Otherwise, you just lose perspective and you get complacent.
0: The number one reason I made my handle at just tries because it sparks a conversation about what you just said. (laughs) So that's awesome. And uh, one thing that you would leave as advice one piece of advice for the next generation so to speak
1: focus on who you are don't worry about the joneses and what someone else is doing out there use it as use it as an idea of what is possible and then focus on yourself and try to be the not try, like aim to be the best version of yourself every day that you can. And you will do that by being open, being curious and learning new things.
0: Beautiful. And if I were to give you the mic, you're a podcaster. So come somewhat natural, but I realize you're on the spot. If you were to ask me a question that either helps my audience or ties into something that you're curious about, what would be a question you would ask me?
1: Why, why are you doing this?
0: So you went to the very deep question that we talked about at the very top there, right? Uh, That's the
1: most interesting one, yeah. Justin. Well, it,
0: okay. So if I had to go back to the elevator pitch, it can't be about why yet, but I'll say quickly that you know this show is to bring the world's greatest guest speakers into the classroom so that teachers can use it as content without having to scour the internet for quality speakers that can teach kids lessons that we don't necessarily learn in school. Why I'm doing it is because the short version. <laughs> this is like your uh, 11 slides where I'm like I could talk about this for an hour, but the the shortest version is that I've worked with a lot of youth over the years, and I too fall into this category, which I think is a good way to build businesses or content. Look back at what you struggled with, but a lot of my students over the years really struggled with how do I start a podcast, how do I start a blog, how do I learn SEO, how do I start a YouTube channel, all those creative kind of things, you know, how do I collect Pokemon cards, etc. or whatever. And in this case, how do I start a business? And so all those questions were way too much for me to keep up with. And so this show was born because I was able to ask people who have those answers in a relatively quick, easy to digest format and then publish, share, and hopefully someday pour some gas on the fire of marketing it as well. But uh, that's why I'm doing it.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. It's the most interesting question, right? I mean, any, anything else is just not as good.
0: Yeah. And what I left out very quickly that I'll add is that for me as a teen, too, and the teens that I work with is because I really feel that whether it's unicorn space, meaning like pure hobby or it's monetizable business, when we are pursuing things that give us intrinsic joy, that our anxiety and depression are all much better for it. And that's something that I struggled with. All the youth I work with, because I work specifically in mental health institutions, struggle with that. And when they're painting, if that's what they love, they just feel better. So that that's the real reason. Trying to unlock that is kind of the the deeper why, I suppose. This has been amazing. I do have to run. I know you get to run. Our time is limited, but I do look forward to doing a, a next episode. It's been really special creating with you. The final question is where people could find you if they want to support your work.
1: I think the best place is just at my website. I have everything listed there. You can just go to Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N, C as in CharlieWhite.com. That's BrandonCWhite.com. My real email address is on there. I answer back and you can find all the work that I've referenced here and more that we haven't talked about and it's uh central to everything
0: that's awesome i hope people will check it out we'll definitely put in the show notes the slides and the course that you mentioned that people used to pay for and now is free and i think that'll bring a ton of value for people that that's the third reason about this show there's so much snake oil out there that the idea of bringing on people who aren't that and uh, really bringing on people who have solid values, who are doing things for great reasons that almost make you wonder why people are doing the things they are because they're so generous. That's the other part. And so thank you for doing this episode, but also sharing that resource. And until next time, I just want to say thank you one last time.
1: Yeah, Justin, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Of course, look forward to doing it again. JKL listeners, thank you so much for being here. I believe greatly in having the courage to speak our goals out into the universe. And so one of my challenging goals is to help millions of people achieve their own dreams with this show. So please do continue to pass it along to people that you think could benefit, Thank you to our guest today Brandon, he does such an incredible job paying attention to details but still having fun when it comes to building a company or testing ideas and projects. Please do check out his website, book and content. And as always we love getting your DMs or comments about the show, if you have any input on guests or topics please don't be shy just let us know. Until the next episode all the best and remember just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.